Hello everyone, welcome to New Wave Global. My name is Norez Rana and I'm an economist with the World Bank. In today's program, we'll be going over Pakistan's political economy landscape, especially considering that the elections have recently been been held and we have the outcome and the results in front of us. And in order to join me for this discussion, I have a very uh, privileged guest. I have an honor, I'm very honored to introduce uh, Mr. Zubair Umar, who has served as the former governor of Sindh and also as the Minister of Privatization. Mr. Zubair Umar brings with him years of experience in governance as well as economic reforms. And we look forward to hearing what his ideas and his, what his insights are on uh, the current evolving landscape in Pakistan. So thank you so much for joining us, Zubair Umar Saab. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting us. Just uh, for the introduction and for your viewers, uh, thanks for the good introduction. Uh, my obviously career has been with IBM. Uh, so for, for an American uh, audience, I think that's also very important. 46 uh, years I spent with IBM. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And that's why I would like to add that your induction as the Minister of Privatization was very appropriate and much needed because, you know, you've served in the private sector, you've helped build up IBM and you know that itself speaks a lot and therefore we yeah. need that, we needed that expertise you know and those technocratic technical capabilities. Uh, so likewise, I said the appointment was, was quite appropriate and going forward I think we would be needing a lot of uh, guidance from you as well and especially for the course of this program, we really want to hear what your ideas are as how Pakistan comes out of this election cycle and tries to integrate better economic reforms. So before we begin and I turn to you, I just want to quickly set the stage for our discussion. Uh, the last one and a half year, the previous one and a half year leading up to the elections were quite turbulent to say so. We saw, we witnessed the events of May 9th. Before that, there was a vote of no, no confidence that ousted the former Prime Minister Imran Khan. And on the economic front, our GDP contracted going as low, as less as 0.6%. There were, you know, the levels of inflation that we incurred were uh, at its record highest. And given all that, there was uh, a lot to fo look forward to for these elections that happened because uh, the idea was that they would bring the needed political stability and they would help elect an autonomously governed uh, government which would have the mandate as well as the confidence from the masses to make uh, the right set of economic decisions. But what was seen that leading up to the elections again, one party was favored more than others by the power brokers. And we know who those power brokers are. I don't need to lay that out. And uh, so there was these concerns that were being raised even prior to the elections about the legitimacy and the authenticity of the elections. And then the elections happened, the events, the day of the event, there were, you know, there was some turbulence in terms of uh, network disruptions. Then overnight, uh, the, the live, uh, telecast of the results was uh, again disrupted. No one knew what was happening. And then suddenly there were concerns, discrepancies being raised about Form 45 versus the actual winners that were announced by the Election Commission of Pakistan. So, you know, in given this entire picture, I don't just want to talk about uh, in isolation the day of the election, but everything leading up to the day of the election has further, I think, created more of an instable environment rather than what was needed and desired. How do you view that? You know, going forward, do you think we will be able to, you know, achieve that level of political stability that the, that the country so badly needs? I mean, the straight answer to your question is, unfortunately, that's not the case. I mean, I, we don't 
I don't think so. Uh, we are near any kind of uh, political stability which can lead towards the economic revival. If at any time in our history we needed uh, a credible uh, electoral process, uh, this was it. Uh, not that we didn't need it in the past. Uh, Pakistan has a very poor history of elections and uh, obviously marred by allegations of uh, um, serious uh, electoral malpractices, allegations, uh, and all of those uh, things. And when we look back to history, uh, apart from one or two elections, none has been credible enough. But this time, I think uh, based on uh, what was expected in terms of uh, the country has waited almost two years, I mean, has been wasted as such because Pakistan needed uh, a uh, an, an election and a party coming into power to undertake uh, serious economic reforms uh, over the five-year period that it would get. Um, when we had this uh, vote of no confidence in April 2022, then we had to wait 16 months, uh, which was neither here nor there uh, for any uh, party anywhere yeah. in the world uh, to govern and that to the last 16 months of a five-year tenure. And then the six-month period for a caretaker set uh, set up, which obviously is not going to undertake any major reforms. So everyone was looking towards the February 8th elections and hoping that uh, to some extent, uh, reasonable extent, it would be free, fair, and transparent. Unfortunately, that has not been the case. And uh, uh, the performance of the election commission has been so poor that uh, uh, no one is uh, appreciating, not even those who are winners or those who are Losers, the largest single party that has emerged is the Pakistan Tariq in South of uh, Imran Khan, uh, who was really uh, in the most uh, difficult situation to fight uh, an electoral battle of the size that any political party has uh, to muster the support of the people. It has to campaign uh, all over the country. They did not have any uh, major political leader to go around the country to campaign. Um, especially uh, the post-May 9th, you mentioned May 9th. Uh, the post-May 9th was a bitter reality for Pakistan Tariq Insaf. Uh, I'm not going to go into the rights and wrongs of May 9th, but the reality is that there was this fear factor that uh, would not even allow 25 to 50 people in a major city like Karachi for the PTI supporters to come out. That was the level of fear before the elections. And you can imagine uh, everyone thought that uh, elections have to be managed if you have a very strong organization that is campaigning day and night and they have major political leaders who are going around the country and campaigning, there was no such thing. Uh, so on the evening of uh, February 8th, uh, it uh, was uh, a total surprise. For some, a pleasant surprise, obviously, those supporting PTI, but um, a hard reality to digest uh, the opponents that uh, as uh, the numbers started coming in, uh, PTI was leading uh, in most constituencies of KP and Punjab, and Punjab obviously where it matters the most. And that uh, is when the uh, results uh, start uh, stopped coming in in most cases. After four, five, six hours of uh, counting, and the whole nation obviously was uh, very surprised. Not surprised looking at the bitter history because we saw the same kind of uh, uh, manner in which the election results were announced in 2018 when the famous RTS, which was yeah. the IT system developed to communicate the election results, uh, suddenly went down and um, uh, there was no good IT expert within the election commission uh, to fix it uh, within, as they have said, 
and uh, so such uh, was the poor management uh, in 2018. So I, Pakistan is known for a very poor way, whether it was deliberate then in 2018 or whether this is this was deliberate in 2024. Um, I think the reality is that it uh, did not allow the uh, for people across the length and breadth of Pakistan to see the selection results as free and fair. Um, for many people, the, uh, the results were changed overnight. Uh, in the morning, uh, people started to uh, watch uh, in disbelief uh, quite from the constituencies which they where they thought that uh, the PTI candidates have won. And suddenly the results showed that actually they have lost by huge wide margins of 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 votes in most cases. So this is where Pakistan is right now in terms of uh, the election results still being disputed, challenged in every court, in the election commission, in the Supreme Court. There has been a petition today asking the Supreme Court uh, to announce to annul the elections at totally uh, and order a fresh elections in uh, one month's time. That's obviously easy said than done. Uh, so we don't even know. And just to add to this uh, uh, confusion, um, the party which uh, obviously had uh, the numbers with the support of the allies, uh, Pakistan Muslim League Nawaz, it was not the largest party, but uh, Pakistan People's Party, which is the third largest party, has uh, obviously announced to support uh, the candidate of uh, Mr. Shehbaz Sharif as the Prime Minister. And uh, the Mutayda Qawmi Movement, MQM, also has announced that to support, which uh, will allow simple majority in favor of Mr. Shehbaz Sharif. But uh, today, there are uh, obviously a lot of people within the uh, Pakistan Muslim League Nawaz who are questioning the wisdom of us forming the government and are advising that we should uh, rather sit in the opposition. The, the, actually, you raised some very excellent points and there are a bunch of ones that I would like to extrapolate and uh, kind of uh, zoom more into. You mentioned May 9th and I completely agree. I think uh, it's May 9th is often leveraged by obviously the military establishment as, as well as those who oppose Imran Khan as the crux and the downfall of that regime. But the truth is that we often tend to not talk about the underlying factors that led to May 9th happening. You know, there's this level of distrust in the institutions of the country. There's this, uh, you know, this economic turmoil that people had been grappling with, that there was so much frustration that led to those various factors culminating into the events of May 9th. And uh, what, was, what we were hoping for is that these elections would help bridge those gaps would help heal the country and then move forward to a more positive trajectory and towards an upward outlook. Anyhow, that really did not happen. And then you also mentioned the RTS and you talked about, you know, the ECP's mismanagement. And I, I, I want to second that, you know, whether that's lack of technical ability, whether this is mismanagement or this deliberately maneuvering of the elections, in any case, it tends to lose the credibility that elections govern and the elections are meant to hold. Uh, and that's what we've been seeing, that there's a lot of hostility now that's been growing even further among the masses who feel that their mandate has been stolen. But despite all that, one question I wanted to put forth for you is that we knew that the elections were skewed in favor or the environment was being created in such a manner that implicitly favored one party. And then the results that we see, despite all that, are you surprised by those results that, you know, the independence backed by PTI who uh, who fought the elections without the party leadership, without a central board, without its uh, you know electoral symbol, uh, 
despite all that they were able to gain so many seats were you how did you view that result uh february the elections took place february 9th around the afternoon i tweeted this was my first tweet after the elections it has started uh, by saying not surprised at all um <laughs> uh, with uh, what was happening i mean obviously the results were still coming in and at that point in time pti backed independents were leading uh, in kp obviously in, uh, they were sweeping the kp they were leading in punjab and they were leading uh, 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 in the national assembly uh, so not surprised at all uh, um, um, i thought uh, that uh, they have the everyone agreed that uh, they had the support the only question was whether they can convert that support into votes and mm. uh, i think we have to give them the credit that uh, they were always known as a party which was strongest uh, in the social media and they used that social media to their advantage in a manner that they reached even uh, those uh, segments of the population which are not so uh, educated i mean pakistan's electoral uh, process uh, obviously is urban centers and then you have rural centers and it's uh, obviously very very difficult to expect that they would go through the social media to comprehend because don't forget that uh, pti back candidates uh, had the uh, had the same symbol bat with which everyone was familiar for years and suddenly that was taken so every candidate was going into uh, with a new uh, with a with a different uh, uh, symbol and that symbol obviously meant that uh, uh, this would uh, be difficult for uh, uh um, those candidates uh, so those supporters uh, to go and identify on the ballot paper mm. to pick up the yeah. right choice uh, and, uh, i think they did so uh, from that standpoint um, they had the support i never thought uh, I, i i had no doubt about that in pakistan the the point is that any party or any political leader which is considered to be on the receiving end which has been the case all through her history is certainly becomes uh, the most popular leader starting with mujibur rahman before the uh, break up of pakistan uh, to zulfikar ali bhutto and then to benazir bhutto and then to nawaz uh, sharif uh, not one not twice but three times he was ousted by the uh, military backed uh, whatever i mean sometimes the judiciary was used sometimes mil- direct military intervention and uh, uh, the first time the kakar formula and each time he was able to come back stronger than ever Uh, simply because he was considered to be the one who had been undone and therefore needed uh, the backing of the people uh, this time it was uh, imran khan's uh, uh, basically the uh, thing went in favor of imran khan uh, uh, not to uh, not to give them the credit for the fight back obviously it was not just about uh, that they were believed that uh, they have been on the receiving end and this is the only way uh by the way you mentioned may 9 this was the only way to come, come over and put the may 9 behind them mm-hmm. and uh, the way they have done and suddenly on the mainstream television networks you see the pti leaders and some of the anchors uh, talk show hosts who are supportive of pti suddenly becoming more stronger in their views and uh, talking things uh, without uh, fearing a backlash from any anyone actually no absolutely i cannot agree more very valid point and especially you mentioned you took us back to 1971 and you shared the analogy uh, you know comparing mujibur rahman and the events that followed there was military intervention back then as well 
there's one key similarity that it was that was one incident in Pakistan's history back then when a party which had the majority of votes was was unable to form a government. And now in 2024, we also see something similar. It's not the same intensity, uh, but we see that uh, a party which has which had the maximum number of seats among you know the top three is un, is being unable to form a government. Uh, and uh, PMLN, which has the second largest seats, and People's Party, which has the third largest seats, are forming sort of a coalition to form a minority government. You know, and we, we've we've barely witnessed that happen, other than the events of 1971. Yeah, but just so, just one correction here. Just one correction yeah. here, as far as uh, PTI being unable to form the government. I mean, some of it is obviously also to do with uh, the PTI's uh, uh, political decision making. I mean, they have said that they will not. Uh, ask PPP or PMLN, or they would not even talk to them. So if they don't talk to them and based on the current numbers, I mean, they can be, they can become better. I mean, the single, they can even have a, a simple majority on their own. That would be a different case. Uh, but yeah, here today, uh, yeah. uh, if you ask them, they are, they are reaching out to smaller parties. They have reached out yesterday to uh, JUIF, which has just about three or four seats in the National Assembly. Uh, which is not uh, enough to give them the strength for the simple majority. So, I mean, that is the difference. The Awami League of Mujibur Rahman obviously had yeah. a simple majority on their own, yeah. although yeah. all of those seats had come from East Pakistan. And the sensitivity, uh, I'm not uh, uh, saying that today we do not have the kind of sensitivity, but then the sensitivity was about uh, the integrity of the country, that if you don't uh, let Awami League of Mujibur Rahman and you don't give them the power, I mean, you could, uh, obviously, everyone thought that you would uh, lead this up uh, to the breakup of the country. That's exactly what happened. You know, I, absolutely. I 100% I, I agree with that. And of course, there were other multiple factors. There were marginalization. They weren't given their due share. You know, the, the yeah. economic allocation of resources was not fair or partial at all back then. But, uh, and I agree with the simple Moji part as well. But what I wanted to focus was that the parties that are now forming the government, they do not have the majority mandate. Obviously, it's yeah. it's not, uh, PTI does not have simple majority, but still, you know, in terms of who has the highest number of seats and who has, you know, the, the second highest and the third highest in terms of that. What it begs is the important question that for such a government, a coalition government, a coalitions tend to work better when there's an overlap of manifesto or objectives. Now, People's Party is much of is more akin to being a socialist party. You know, their 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 manifestos, their objectives, their goals tend to be different than those of PMLN, which focuses more on you know business oriented communities, trading activities. There's there's a difference in their economic output and how they tend to perceive things. So the very first question would be: Do you think such a coalition is possible or sustainable in the long term? That's one. The second question that I wanted to ask and is closely related is that uh, the IMF program, the 3 billion program is coming to an end. We would most likely be going into another IMF program. We'll be going for another additional loan of maybe six to $8 billion. Our foreign reserves, have, again, they've started to dwindle. They're down to $8 billion, which covers only one month of import cover. And in doing so, some tough and key decisions need to be made, including raising the prices of commodities, of uh, you know basic utilities, fuel, petrol, energy. And in doing so, whichever parties at the helm of affairs risks losing the support of the masses. And in this case, they already do not have the support of the masses. So political stability tends to drive or convert into economic stability. And here, 
we're already starting initiating on a very turbulent ground what are the I challenges think, uh, of the vision how the challenges could not have been uh, tougher uh, ever in terms of economic challenges uh, you obviously uh, mentioned uh, pakistan has to go into a new imf program because the current fund uh, ends in march and obviously whichever party forms a government ultimately has to start negotiating with imf from the first day onwards uh, for a bigger uh, longer uh, this one was 9 months so obviously we are not talking about 9 months we are talking about 3 years or something like that and maybe 6 8 billion or someone is also talking about 10 12 billion dollars uh, to give them the safety network so that they yeah. can then focus on other things uh, whether the imf uh, uh, agreement uh, will be done in the shortest possible time or not uh that is a question because uh, for me as i expect that as you would agree that uh, the imf program will be very very tough and uh, as a pakistani who wishes uh, pakistan to uh, come out of the economic uh, situation um, on a sustainable basis i would wish imf imposes the kind of conditions that finally formally fixes pakistan's economic uh, issues for once and for all because this is no good that uh, every time you go back to every new government comes and the first thing it has to do is to go back to, to the imf uh, for negotiating some kind of a help uh, without uh, having fixed for whatever reason we went to imf earlier so within this century if you see in 2002 when the pmlq came into power the first thing they did did under shock of disease who was then yeah. the finance minister in the then the prime minister we went to imf 2008 ppp and the shokatari they went to imf immediately 2013 uh, isadars uh, came and uh, we went to imf 2018 um, asad umar was the finance minister and uh, uh, we ended up with imf immediately 2022 was through the vote of no confidence when the pml led, led uh, coalition came the first thing they do is to go back to imf and now again the same situation so uh for anyone uh, looking at pakistan i think this is not a sustainable situation and uh, everyone expects that imf is some kind of a, a one time uh, solution during which time you fix your economy whether you're talking about taxation uh, system or energy sector or public sector enterprises and other sectors uh, formally lead take those tough decisions uh, introduce those uh, critical reforms that put pakistan on the path of sustainable economic development over a long period of time uh, so that is it uh, the other question that you had was uh, whether pmln and pep will be able to agree on most things having different uh, economic agendas over the long term you mentioned you said over the long term i see that yeah. uh, um, serious uh, challenge within the shortest possible time cimm <laughs> thing is obviously the first yeah. uh, the thing that uh, if pmln is able to form the minority government if it uh, goes ahead with forming and pup having just uh, given the vote of confidence to the prime minister obviously they will have uh, the right to object uh, to create um, challenge the terms and conditions uh, that uh, pmln would agree with imf and then the and following that in the first week of june which is just uh, less than uh, uh just about 3 months from now we will have uh, the the budget which uh, if we had uh, agreed with the imf uh, agreement would be would be imf mandated budget with full stop and yeah. comma 
uh, obviously not uh, you do not have the space to have your own uh, whatever you want to do. Uh, so that uh, will be tough with higher taxes and everything with increase in um, utility prices, uh, increase in petrol prices, doing away with uh, whatever subsidies remain, and all of those things which will uh, obviously will be unpopular decisions and will further erode the popularity of the party uh, in power, which will be PMLN, if it uh, goes ahead with taking over the reins. So it's a very tough road ahead, uh, and uh, it will require a lot of uh, media management and convincing those segments of the population, the middle class, the urban middle class, for example, the, uh, the business community, because uh, obviously they will be uh, suffering. I mean, um, the costs would go up, the taxes would go up, and the uh, the obviously also suffer. They are the biggest sufferers uh, eventually. Uh, so is them that this two year or three years is going to be a very difficult period. Whether it will be able to sustain that uh, from a eroding of the pop of the popularity or not has to be seen. So, from what it seems is that it's uh, nowhere in future are we looking for a more political stable environment where parties will be working in tandem to achieve a common goal. And it's like you said that not even in, let alone the long term, even in the short term, you do not foresee that you know People's Party and PMLN would be able to work together to achieve those goals. And I think that would be that would only add to the aggravate the problem and highlight the challenges that we're already currently facing. And on that note, actually, very closely related to it, I have a question. And uh, I think it was Einstein who said that. So it's not me. I'm just quoting him. He said that it's sheer stupidity to expect a different outcome by trying the same, uh, you know, with the same input again and again. And in this case, what it hasn't been finalized yet, but we there's a possibility that Ishaq Dar may again be appointed as a finance minister of Pakistan. And, you know, he previously has held this position about four, four five different times. And every other time, we've only seen an increase in external debt. We've only seen a currency crisis manifesting the DAPEG, which collapsed recently in 2022. We saw the price of PKR in response to the dollar go from 224 to almost 300. How do you envision anything different this time around? Or this should be a red line, like we should try something else. It's high time that we induce, infuse, someone with more better technical capabilities. And given that you worked, uh, you were part of the PMLN uh, administration. I have worked with Mr. Dart for many years uh, uh, as privatization minister uh, initially as board of investment chairman. And uh, obviously, um, even when I was governor Sin, because uh, governor Sin uh, had uh, the additional responsibility because Karachi being the financial hub, one of the important things was to uh, ensure that uh, um, uh, the governor has a direct license with the business community here, whether you're talking about multinationals, stock market people, a business community and others, and have a kind of uh, relationship with uh, uh, Islamabad so that when the policy is being framed, you can, you are, as governor, are able to convey the expectations of the people who are going to implement that policy. So that input was extremely important what the business community want, whatever sector it was, fertilizer or banking or whatever. Uh, so I worked with him all through those years. Uh, um, 
I think, uh, 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 let me tell you um, the good aspect of uh, PMLN in terms of finance ministers uh, when compared to the two other leading political parties, PTI and PVP. Um, uh, when you go to the people, it's all about economic agenda. Uh, unfortunately, both PVP and PTI never had their own people uh, becoming finance ministers. Asad uh, became a finance minister only for a few months before he was replaced by uh, Mr. Hafiz Sheikh. Now, someone yeah. has made a plan which reflects a party philosophy, okay? And then someone else becomes the finance minister who has no commitment to that economic plan. That happened during the PVP government. If you look at the go back to 2008 to 2013, Shokat Tareen and then Hafiz Sheikh, and it happened the same uh, the sequence was different. This time, Hafiz uh, Sheikh became the finance minister and then was replaced by uh, Shaukat Tareen. Both had no commitment. Both had uh, nothing to do with the philosophy of PTI, uh, where Imran Khan wanted to create a new Pakistan after dismantling the old Pakistan. It was all about uh, the economic solution for the people of Pakistan. So Asad Umar was almost um, socialist. Uh, he, he was not in favor of privatization. He had this concept of, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, Sarmaya Pakistan to fix the state organizations. And Hafiz Sheikh, uh, the first act he did after becoming the finance minister, also dismantled that Sarmaya Pakistan concept. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so the philosophy was completely different. And if you go back to even 1971, when PVP came first time in power, or during the time Benazir Shaheed was uh, prime minister, they they borrowed the finance ministers either from the World Bank or IMF or someone from outside, not a party guy, uh, which was obviously a contradiction in itself. People do not uh, did not realize then, but that was a major flaw, why those commitments could not uh, be delivered. Uh, as far as PML, PMLN always uh, had the uh, facility of first time, it was uh, Sataj who was brilliant and weird, who initiated those major reforms back in 1990, which were, I think, uh, which obviously for me was uh, probably the best period as far as any government was concerned. Breathtaking pace and I, as a as someone working with a multinational, we saw very closely how uh, the decisions were taken and uh, how every major reform was initiated uh, uh, in fact, the privatization process, the privatization commission was set up uh, in 1990 within two months after the taking over. Um, so, uh, whether uh, Mr. Isar, and we had uh, others also uh, at this time, Mr. Ismail uh, obviously uh, would have been a good choice had he not uh, lost favor with the party leadership. Puranda uh, Sagheed uh, uh, has a good understanding of uh, finance and economy. He has unfortunately lost the election, so he's no more. Uh, a possible candidate. Uh, there are a few young guys, but they're too young. Uh, in fact, all the young uh, guys who were who are very, very good, uh, and I've worked with them in the economic advisory cell that we have. Uh, Ali Parvez, Ehsan, uh, uh, is another guy from Faisalabad. Both did not contest because they did not get the tickets. Uh, so that leaves possibly on the Mrs. Agdar. Uh, to lead the show uh, from the Q talk. Do, do you think uh, there was some sort of deliberation in creating 
uh, eliminating competition for Mr. Isakdar on a lighter note, so that uh, uh, you know. Some people, uh, Mr. Raza Rumi, uh, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, tweeted uh, a month ago that all the economy-related uh, leaders have been sidelined. That includes also um, um, Daniel Aziz because I've worked very closely with him. He's got very, very strong insight into economy. Very well educated from US. Uh, Ivy League University and has uh, worked uh, uh, quite a lot uh, during the uh, during the Musharraf government. He was a key minister, um, and there 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 are a few others. So I don't know whether it is deliberate or not. But uh, what I've uh, heard is that even if Mr. Sagar is given the finance ministry, there will be there are uh, possibly talks going on with some uh, two or three possible people from the private sector. To come and join, and so at least you have um, uh, some counterweight to Mr. Sarkar's uh, um, logic of uh, doing whatever uh, he wants to do uh, with uh, running the economy. Uh, and uh, the names that I've heard are some credible names, uh, but uh, personally, I don't think so. But unless they are given the finance ministry, it won't help. Mm -hmm. Because I can tell you in 2013, because I saw that happening in front of me, uh, Shokat Tareen was initially brought as an advisor or a special assistant to Prime Minister Nawashi, while uh, Mr. Uh, Isaac Dar was the finance minister. And uh, I could see that uh, Mr. Dar did not really like uh, Mr. Shokat Tareen to be around. And uh, you could uh, say that he was uh, pushed out within three or four months. Because unless you, you are able to take those decisions, you don't want to be associated with the government uh, just uh, for some perks and privileges. To be honest, and a lot of uh, economists and experts and analysts are very, very and scared of the fact that, you know, this could be a very da a dangerous scenario that is brewing because, I mean, the facts are that among other, obviously, finance ministers who, who took the helm of affair, Mr. Isagda wasn't able to deliver previously. And even going forward, there are not much disruptive changes that are expected that can change the course of Pakistan's economic trajectory, at least. But uh, on that note, uh, before we end, any positive positivities or optimism that you would like to share going forward? I mean, many people say that uh, the Pakistanis are very resilient people and they bounce back. Uh, they show their resilience uh, every time uh, they are put under such an extreme pressure. And I question this uh, logic by questioning why do we have to put them under such a resilience every uh, few years? Uh, they deserve something better than uh, what has happened to them. And they are obviously awaiting uh, for decades now that uh, some of their dreams, uh, some of the, their aspirations, especially the younger generation, which uh, obviously consists of... Uh, uh, a, a majority of Pakistanis, and uh, especially the urban educated middle class, the young uh, graduates who have come out of uh, universities and colleges and expect something better from the Pakistani leadership. I think uh, uh, we should uh, be connected with them, at least uh, be able to live up to some expectations. Like I say, whatever we do, and if we are if, if we have good media managers to convince that, look, Whatever has happened in the past is past. Uh, tell us whether we are taking the right steps now or not. So every single step uh, that we take or we have, we are forced to take uh, to bring uh, uh, the economy uh, 
and turn around the economy on a sustainable basis, not uh, the way it has happened in the past uh, years of a uh, few years of growth have always followed by a complete meltdown, uh, whether it was 2008 or 2018 or 2022 or whatever. Uh, so I think uh, we have a very um, imbalance. Uh, we go for growth and uh, then we built up the current account deficit and we don't have the dollars to pay us uh, uh, foreign obligations. And then we have to put the brakes on economic growth through uh, controlling our imports that leads to uh, slowdown of the economy to the level which leads to unemployment and uh, so you have to have a balance between the two uh, and there is no short term solution, there is no short term solution to it. That's why I say that we wasted those two years had mm. this five year process whichever party would have uh, won the elections back in April 2022 rather than the vote of no confidence and followed by a three month move which meant neither here nor there. If we had gone for the elections, we would have gone through the tough two years. And now we mm. would have been on the path to some kind of, some semblance of recovery and some kind of benefits to the masses. Uh, but we have to start the process all over again now. And um, you know, with, a, with a kind of fragmented uh, uh, parliament mm. that we have, uh, where the, no one is a clear winner as such, uh, the formation of the government itself is uh, uh, difficult, and uh, just to just to uh, add this uh, aspect that how difficult it is that Mr. Nawazri, who was considered to be the fourth time prime minister, he has withdrawn that because he had uh, obviously made it very clear within the party that uh, if he does not if he did not have uh, the simple majority, he will not uh, become the prime minister because he can he will only like to become the prime minister if he's able to take those difficult tough decisions without being black, blackmailed by coalition partners. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, some of the other, uh, the numbers are far short of the simple majority, so he's withdrawn uh, as a possible candidate. And that's uh, that just shows how difficult uh, the situation is for anyone becoming the prime minister and then leading uh, uh, the government, a minority government there to uh, how PPP and others uh, uh, behave during the initial months or a year or so, many people believe they would be, uh, that's called blackmailing, but they could be genuinely mm. opposing to some of the decisions, some of the major things like IMF, the terms and conditions of the IMF program, the budget that will be presented, mm. and many other things uh, that uh, the new government will, will have to take. Uh, obviously, they would uh, try to remain populist uh, at the expense of uh, the ruling party. Uh, so mm. that's where we are. So no, unfortunately, yeah. nothing uh, very good to communicate. Yeah, no, actually, I think you've literally hit the nail in the head because that is exactly the crux of the problem. A, you mentioned no government is able to govern for the entire tenure of its elected period. We need that consistency. You know, we need that time, we longevity in order to make those tough decisions and long-term reforms. And secondly, like you said, and initially where the discussion started was because it's a, such a weak coalition government no prime minister like Mr. Nawashi will do because of the very same fact that, you know, no prime minister or premier is in a position to make those tough calls without being, you know, intentionally or unintentionally being opposed by those who are part of that coalition government or even sitting in the opposition. So it's very obvious, I guess, that the road ahead is very tumultuous, very turbulent, and it's very risky to navigate through what is going to likely to happen. But I hope that, you know, for the for the sake of the country, 
that at least the people hope that whoever so is in power is able to deliver you know in order to alleviate the problems the challenges that the common man continues to suffer so thank you so much sir for your time thank you so much for inviting me for this discussion uh, absolutely it was an absolute pleasure thank you